Learning to lean on Jesus. 
reason why I love you so. For Jesus, you're the sweetest name. Lord Jesus, tonight we thank you for who you are. You are indeed the sweetest name we know. Your obedience to your Father has been a great lesson to us. And tonight we ask that you'll be with us in this service by your Spirit. Challenge our hearts to follow your example. Let your mind be developed in our with our minds be turned into your mind. O Lord, please direct us over this weekend. Every heart that's joined with us tonight, we ask that you'll be a blessing and influence to them. We ask these mercies in your precious name. Amen and amen. Well, <clears throat> praise the Lord. You know, I talk to the Lord Jesus all the time. But most of the time when I pray, I pray to the Father in Jesus' name. And it's a, it's a trend that we have adopted over the years. <clears throat> We're glad tonight to be in church, and I've got here a few things I'd like to say before we get into a short lesson uh, tonight. And the first thing I'd like to say is that I appreciate Brother Joe, uh, Joe McCormick, uh, capturing these lessons. Uh, over the years, we have tried to put our lessons together. We try to get tapes. Uh, this past week, I went in and started to go through a cassette library we have in the, in the overflow and see what we need to keep and what we need to eliminate. If we need to keep something, then we'll duplicate it uh, and um, store it in another method than using a cassette player. But Brother Joe was able to find uh, this, um, this medium that even if you don't have Facebook, you can download Spotify um, on, your, on your device. Um, you can use your cell phone or your iPad or your computer and download Spotify. And uh, you type in uh, my gospel at Desmond Singh at My Gospel. And uh, you'll find, as long as you get one uh, of the messages come up, you'll be able to stream and find all the others. Almost 60, over 60, uh, already on Spotify. And it's so convenient that you can get that. And I appreciate Brother Joe doing that and then writing a little uh, caption of the message, very bold. I read, read through some of his captions. Uh, not uh, not um, critically, but I, I used to read it critically because he likes to boast me up. And, uh, you know, people do not like you tell any uh, man that they're great. You can tell your doctor he is great. You can tell your lawyer he's a good man. You can tell your boss he's a wonderful man. But you can't tell your pastor he's wonderful. Isn't that sad world we're living in? Well, before we go any further, I have an offering here. Uh, that I received this past weekend from a little girl in this church that is barely eight years old. And I remember when she was born. And I remember many years ago uh, when we used to have church at one o'clock. Uh, when we had church at one o'clock on a Sunday morning, I'll get up early, go and sit at McDonald's. And I'll sit at McDonald's, I have my Bible cup of coffee. Scarcely anybody went there that early. And I have one table I'll sit at, open my Bible, have a cup of coffee and pancakes with butter and peanut butter. And it was a common practice. And then one day, the manager came to me and he said, you look like a professional person and you sit here every Sunday, same table. I said, yes, I, I am here all the time. He says, you look like you're a business, a man, or a professional. I said, I'm a pastor. And that was the first time I met Brother Hammond. 
And he says, well, where are you pastoring? So I told him where the church was. And he said, okay. And so a couple of Sundays after that, I went back to uh, McDonald's. I was at McDonald's in the morning and he came over. He says, how are you doing today, pastor? And I said, I'm doing fine, uh, Mr. Hammond. Uh, you know, he was just McDonald's manager. And he looked at me and he says, my wife goes to your church now. I said, is that so? Who is your wife? And he told me, he said, Eunice. I said, oh, remember she came. She came on in and she came for prayer. And that was many years ago uh, because the, the child uh, was not born yet. This little girl uh, was not Miracle, her name is, and she is a little Miracle, and uh, she was not born yet. That was over, maybe over 10 years ago that I met them. And the family has been faithful to this church ever since. Well, Miracle is one of the little ones born in the church, and she sent an envelope. This is what I was told. I hope I got this right. I was sent this little envelope with a $50 offering inside and a little note that says, thank God for adding, me, adding another year to my life. <laughs> this is so good. Uh, somebody says, all my life. I heard another little child says, all my life. I never heard of that. And she's just six or seven years old. I remember in Des Moines many years ago, I, we were there. And this little girl went to church the first day. I went to school the first day, the church school. And when she got into school the first day, she came home and she says, Mom, I don't know how long I can cope with this. <laughs> first day in school. And here is Miracle's little gift, and she says, thank, you for add, for, thank God for adding another year to my life. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Lord. Prayers for me. And it's from Miracle. And we give God thanks for that. Amen. Amen. Little miracles like this is wonderful. It is important for us to understand that God is a great king. The Bible tells us God is a great king. And when, we, when we, under, we try to comprehend why is it that this great king that owns cattle, the cattle on a thousand hills, and he says all the gold and all the silver and all the riches in the fields are mine, saith the Lord. Why would he ask God's, his people to bring tithes into the storehouse? Why would he do that? Why would he want you to pay tithes uh, into, into the church? Why would he want offerings uh, to be given to him? Well, I'll tell you why. Because your offering and your tithes uh, does not add one inch to God's stature. It does not make God all excited. No, God is perfect in himself. He does not need you to make him happy. He is complete happiness. He does not need you or I to give him joy. He is joy in totality. When we read the Bible, the Bible is not written for God. So when it says the eyes of the Lord go at to and fro across the whole earth, how big is his eyes? See, the Bible is written for us human beings. And when it's written in a language that finite minds can understand, it gives us a better understanding. But you know, in reality, the Father dwells in a light which no man, Einstein, or any other great scholar can never comprehend. And it is sad that today uh, we have institutions in the world that would like to put God under scrutiny. And tonight we're going to have a study of God. Well, really and truly, are you going to study the he that is unsearchable? He that is beyond man's knowledge? He that dwells in a light and an understanding that a man cannot even approach unto? The brightest man in this world and the smartest man using up 100% of his intelligence is just a drop in the Atlantic Ocean to what God is, and that's giving man some credit. He is invisible. He is, cannot, his ways cannot be searched out. And that is why we're glad that he sent us his son. 
And I'm glad that we have a Bible because there are examples in this Bible that talks that, that individuals that set examples in this Bible that has given us a reason to, to, to imbibe their ways and, and follow their pattern. Now, there are two men in the Bible that I'd like to mention tonight in passing. And uh, these men, I did not read anywhere in the Bible where God told them what to do. But they did according to their desires of their heart, and God used that as a pattern to follow after. Now, it might have been, we can argue and say, well, maybe God put it in their hearts. Well, whatever he did, but it, didn't, it was not written that way. The first one is in Genesis, <clears throat> and you've got your Bibles here. Turn with me to the fourth chapter of Genesis. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not a great scholar. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't scarcely went to any school, particularly teaching uh, theology or things like that. And so when I pick my Bible up, I'm depending on God to touch me. Uh, last service we had, I told this church, there are times when I feel I have the gift of knowledge. Amen. Not man's knowledge, God's knowledge. And sometimes I sit in the, in the, I stand at the pulpit or I sit down here talking to you and thoughts come into my head that I did not even know uh, existed. And it's been like that. And sometimes I blow it. Sometimes I just get in the way and I yap, yap, yap. And nothing, I tell them not to keep the tape or not to even keep the message. But a lot of times, I would say 80% of the times when I stand up to preach, God has honored me, not because I fasted and prayed and got God in a corner. No, I'm weak and helpless, and it takes God to do this. Well, here in Genesis, and um, I might, if I make statements that uh, uh, you, you find it very hard to comprehend, uh, well, in time you might understand, because I believe God has called me to the ministry. And when I preach a message, don't reject it first. Ponder about it before you reject it. A message I might preach might contradict years of tradition from your ancestors, from religious traditions, from individuals that said something for years. When I was growing up, I heard a statement. Someone says, uh, the... It says, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity, and in sin did our mothers conceive us. And we say that. Don't, did you ever hear that statement? We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and in sin did our mother conceive us. And we say that because somebody said that. We didn't have time to go read it. And when you really go and check it out, it does not say exactly what we say. Uh, for years, as a young man growing up, I heard a preacher says, the Bible says, one sin shall not enter heaven. Now, even though I know logically that's true, the Bible does not say that specifically. And there are things that we have said because somebody said it. Now, what about saying something the Bible said? Like, for example, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help. So when I read that scripture, for years I preached and used that. We love to use that scripture. But I felt that thing that was whoever wrote it down did not do justice to it. Because God was telling Israel not to lift up their eyes onto the hills. Because the hills were where the pagan altars were. He wanted them to lift up their eyes onto him from whence cometh their help. Amen. And not to the hills. And so when you really look at these things... You can't always just say it because everybody else said it. No, I have to wait carefully because I'm preaching to some people that if I tell you the wrong information, you'll be heading in the wrong direction. All right? And so <clears throat> when I'm looking at Genesis, uh, you know, the strange thing about Genesis and the creation, and I'm going to say this very quickly and pass. Uh, so the strange thing about the, the creation is that Moses... Uh, this was many, many years before Moses existed. Many years. I'm not sure exactly how many years, but it will be approximately, uh, let's see here. Uh, Moses came on the scene in early Exodus, isn't that right? Uh, we look at Moses. Um, 
uh, here in Exodus, we're looking at um, Exodus, it says, 18th century B.C. Well, let me, instead of coming to days and years, let me say Moses lived way after, long after Genesis. And Moses is writing, if this was what he wrote, he's wrote, writing about the creation. And when I carefully, carefully look at this creation document, I'm finding three different descriptions, three different descriptions of creation. I'm not here to debate that, but I'm looking at this, and the see they say they have three different descriptions of creation. And so I'm concluding that Moses, he got this information from traditions that was passed on to him. Uh, you know, long ago before they wrote history, they used to sing history. And songs were used, like in the, in the, like for example, the first part, it tells us, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm looking at this, and it sounds like a song, almost. And it says, and it repeats the same thing, and it says there, if my Bible can find a period there. And God, uh, they, it says in verse 3, And God says, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And you find when he goes to the second day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. He goes to the third and the evening and the morning. It's not Moses' style of writing. Uh, when you read Moses' writing, his style of writing is not there. I wish I was back there to find out from Moses where he got this information. Did God give him where he got it? Why are there three different descriptions of creation here? Uh, chapter 1, uh, run the way, all the way down to chapter 2 and verse 3. And then it goes back again and starts a second description. It says, these are the generations of the heaven and earth. In, um, when the Lord... Uh, when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And this is the second description. It seems to be the longest description. And it runs all the way uh, up to chapter, chapter 5. Uh, when it says, this is the generation, chapter 5, verse 1, of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him, male and female created in them, and blessed them. And call them Adam. It, it looks like a little bit a contradiction to each description. Because he called them both Adam. Here in this ter third description. And, the, and the in the day that they were created. Uh, the first description gives us seven days. And I believe in the seven day description. Because Paul and some of the other New Testament writers refer to the seven day uh, Seven-day creation. And uh, maybe they're all describing the same thing, but different persons are describing it differently. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one has its own slant to describing things. But that's not what I want to bring your attention. I want to bring your attention to the, uh, to the second description here and chapter 4. And it says here, And Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his son. Now, Bible, the Bible has a way of describing birth. It would say, and Adam knew his wife. It means they had a relationship, and she bore a son. And a lot of people have gone on with this and says, and again she bare his brother, Abel. It didn't say, and Adam knew his wife again, and she had another son. It just went on to describe it. So there are movements out here. That says, oh, one was the serpent seed. But unfortunately, it doesn't say that. It does say, if there was a serpent seed here, and there isn't something like the serpent seed. If there was a serpent seed, then Abel would have been the one. Because Adam knew his wife and she bore Cain. But I believe, I'm tempted to speculate. Can I say speculate? That Cain and Abel were twins. My speculation. But apart from whatever they were and all these in, this information I'm poking into your heads uh, tonight, here is what I want to bring to your attention. It says, and again she bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain, he planted a garden. He was a tiller of the ground. Um, I like to till the ground. I hope I don't have the spirit of Cain. 
But um, I like to till the ground. And it says there, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So can you imagine that Cain is setting up an offering? Uh, now listen to me. He's setting up an offering of the fruit of the ground. And I would think, uh, you know, when we did harvest back home in Guyana, uh, you would have sugar cane standing there. You would have cantaloupe and watermelon and corn and all the beautiful array. When you look at that, it's like a Thanksgiving card. All set up with rice and barley and, and all kinds of things, eggs and, uh, you know, like that. And it's, when you look at Cain's offering, it was a beautiful display. But when Abel thought he needed to offer God something, and there's no scripture that tells me that God told Abel what to do. It says, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. And of the fact thereof, he brought, you know, back home, when we have a chicken, we never raise cattle, we never raise sheep or goats or anything like that. We just raise chickens and ducks. And I remember the first chicken that would hatch, uh, we will take it and it will become a pet. Because the first one, we call it chicken. <laughs> Chicklin or chicky or something like that. And nobody could touch that. And that one had access to the house. Chick Chicklin would come on into the house and walk around because she's the pet. If God wanted me to make the sacrifice of that, it would hurt my heart because always the firstborn is always the pet in the family. And so when Abel decided he was going to give God, the offerings that we offer God is an expression of what we think God is and how much we appreciate God. Our offering is a manifestation of how we reverence God or how we feel God is. And Abel, when he offered of his firstlings, it was a sacrifice. It tore his heart. But he felt, if I love this, then I'm going to give this to God. And an offering, and that is why I look at this little offering here tonight, and that's an expression of love and appreciation for God. She could have used this $50 and go buy some of herself a present. But when a child comes up and gives an offering like this, I appreciate it. Much more when an adult gives an offering. I tried to be a, an individual in the church that I would scarcely want anyone to better my offering. And one year, a couple of years, somebody bettered my offering. I try to give the most to the church uh, from what, sometimes what I don't have. You know, in this country, you have lines of credit. You can borrow the money and put it in the church. And then a sister sold her house and put the profits in. And I said, that's not fair. Uh, you know, I wanted to be the number one. <clears throat> well, I told Sister Indira, I said, looks like, can I be the number one this year? It looks well like I might be the number one. But you know, that's not important. The offering, the quantity is not important. Is how you treat, feel God is. How you honor God. God does not need us to just, uh, just, uh, I put him on a pedestal. He always is on a pedestal. You need to put him on a pedestal in your heart. And I need to put him. Abel placed God on a pedestal in his heart. What he did did not lift God higher than God was. But God looked at that and he appreciated. He appreciated the offering that Abel gave. And it says, the Lord and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, not something uh, mangy. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Isn't that a beautiful word? I read a scripture that says the Lord is no respecter of person. But this time it turned God's attention. Do you know this became in Exodus? I think it might have been in Exodus chapter 13. Uh, the Lord told Moses, uh, he, made, uh, an in he instituted a, 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 um, a commandment to the children of Israel in chapter 13. 
And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever open up the womb and among the children of um, the womb among the children of Israel, both male, man, and of beast, it is mine. What Abel did set a precedent. It would be good that somebody can do something to set a precedent. And God says, I like that. We will initiate this to be a principle. Here was a man many, many thousands of years ago. He did something and God had respect for that. Isn't that wonderful? That the Lord looked down and nobody asked Abel to do that. But God says, this is a good thing. And I think I'm going to initiate it to be a practice among God's people. We have a lot of practices today, and many of our practices have pagan origins. And that's not the kind of church we'd like to have. We like to find out where the origins of whatever we practice comes from. I'm a pastor, and not just any old pastor. I'm just a little bit different because I was not trained. So my mind is not enslaved to the principles of the institutions of this world. I have a free mind. I'm not, I'm not dependent on what Dr. So-and-so said or Professor So-and-so said. I'm dependent on what Professor God says. Amen. And that is important. And so when we think about it, this was a good example. Now time is running on me. And so here is a second example that I'd like to turn your attention to. It's in 2 Samuel, uh, Samuel chapter 7. And it's another example of someone that did something that became a pattern that God will use a pattern. So Abel, what he did, God uses a pattern and made that a principle that Israel operated by. And, you know, it has been a principle I've seen individuals in cooperate. I remember growing up as a young man and I wanted to. I got into the ministry. I felt like I needed to go out into the ministry. I didn't know if it was a calling. I was not a choice person. I was never spoken to by my leaders asking me if I want to go full time. There were other brothers that were spoken to. Men that were smarter. Men that were more intelligent. Men that, uh, you know, could speak. I did not even like to preach. I did not even like to testify. I would wait on a Sunday when testimony time is over and then I come on in because I'll tell them I was running my Sunday schools. And I'd come on in when the testimony is over only to have them ask me to pray. I said, oh gosh, I got to go lead the church into prayer. And that's how, how it was until I felt I needed to go full time into the ministry. And I saw what I did. I decided that if God would help me, I'd finish high school early and get a, a teaching job as a pupil teacher and uh, help my parents for two years and then go full time. I did. And it broke my heart. I have the certificate, the government certificate of the first salary I received up to this day. I kept it. For the month, I was paid $99.50. And that was big bucks. For the month. Certificate. I still got it. And I worked hard. And so I didn't get paid for the first month. But they sent a receipt to me. And I didn't get paid for the second month. But in those days you have to work three months. And then you get, uh, get your pay as a starter. And then after that it goes every month. And so I got my first paycheck. And I got it here. And it was all total up you know. Uh, almost $300. Wow. Brought it to my mom. <laughs> and my mom, God bless her heart, I can never forget my mom. She looked at that check and she had all kinds of bills and expenses. I said, Mom, here it is. You take it. She said, this is first fruits. Amen. What? First fruits. What do you mean first fruits? This go into the church. My first paycheck, three months put together. Do you know there are people in this church that they got a new job? And the first pay they get, it comes in an offering envelope. And you think they got some big bonus? No, their first paycheck comes in. 
And it is, it's written on that little envelope says first fruits. And they get fired from that job and they, get, they would search around for another job and they just got another job, lots of bills to pay and then another offering envelope come in and it says first fruits. Now I respect people like that because they honor God. Well here is a man called David and the Bible says he's a man after God's own choosing, the margin says. Man's after God's own heart. And David, it came to pass in chapter 7, that when the king sat in his house, so the work of God must be carried on by sacrifices of the people. It takes money to run the government. It takes money to run a business. And a person that says the church is only asking for money is an ignorant person that doesn't understand that like every other organization, the church needs to pay bills. But I'm not talking about a general offering. I'm trying to direct this to the hearts of everyone listening to this. And you need to understand that your offering is an expression of how great you think God is. And this is important. And David, he had a lot of battles. He was anointed king over Israel and had to run for his life because he was still a young man. And David fled into a cave of Dullam, spent years. Saul tried to kill him. And then finally, it says in verse 1, it came to pass. When the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest, rung about from all his enemies. He called a big party with all his friends and family. And they had a Saturday night bash. Is that in your Bible? Well, it's not in mine. It says that the king said, he sat there and he thought about things. And he called the prophet and he said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a, an amazing house of cedar. But God is dwelling in a tent. Now you and I know God does not need a tent to dwell in or a house to dwell in. But God had to use that symbol and that object to direct his people's attention to where God was. That's why David said, I love the habitation of God's house and the place where his honor dwelleth. But can a household God? No, literally. But God has given us things to show our dedication and sacrifice and commitment to the work of God. And so it says, And the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said unto the king, Go do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan, saying, <clears throat> He says, Go tell my servant David. When we look and we read a scripture like Luke, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, and says, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall, he shall be great and shall be called, uh, they, uh, they, he shall be called, let me find that scripture. I'm trying to quote it here from the top of my head. But <clears throat> he shall be in chapter, in chapter 1 of, of Luke's gospel. It says here, and the angel said to Mary, fear not Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the Son of God the Highest. And then the Lord goes on and says, And the Lord God shall give to him the throne of his father David. The kingdom throne will be called the throne of David. You want to find out? You need to go read the entire uh, chapter uh, 7 and the rest of chapters that follow that. And find out what did God see in David that made him so wonderful and his name became a pattern. Because David was the one that sat one day and God did not ask for, for a house. God was, he told him to build him a tent. And this is important because it shows what level did David put God on? He was sitting comfortable in his house. And sometimes I wonder how someone can sit comfortable at home when the rest of us are out here in church. 
and it becomes closer to winter and winter months and cold months, how someone can sit down home uh, in front of their fireplace and uh, has an iPad and watch the service and say, well, I really don't care about the rest of them. You see, what we do, whatever we sow comes back. Listen, I'm not to force anybody. I don't believe in convincing a man against his will. Brother Goodwin says, you do that, he'll be of the same opinion still. God must touch individuals' mind. And David here, the throne is called the throne of David. And it says, he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there shall be no end. Remember those words. Back here in 2 Samuel. And the Lord told Nathan, he says, go tell David. He says, whereas, verse 6, I have not dwelt in any house since the time I was brought up, since the time I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent, in a tabernacle. God says, I didn't dwell in a house, I got a tent, a tabernacle. Everybody's got a house, I got a tabernacle. And God says, in all the places wherein I've walked, with all the children of Israel, spake I a word, uh, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build me not, why build ye not me an house of cedar? God says, I never ask y'all to build me a house. But you see, I don't need God to ask me. I don't need, I walk out of somewhere and I see a man standing there. I told Chandra yesterday, I walked out of Dollarama because I was early to pick up Jeremiah from school. And I walked out and there was a man standing in the corner. He's not asking for anything. He's just standing there, but I saw him standing there when I went in. And I took 15 minutes and I'm walking out and he's still standing there and a smile on his face. And I looked at him, and I believe he was begging. But he was not asking. I walked over to him, opened my wallet, and he started to smile bigger. And I pulled out just a $5 bill, and that made his day. And the man says, oh my God, I'm so thankful, you know. And I didn't need God to tell me. Can we learn to have an ability to look around and see needs and fill it? Do I need to have a pledge made before I put a special offering into the church? Do I need to have the roof break down before I can ask, say, well, we need to support the work a little bit? No, I don't need to. And here was David, and I'm going to finish this lesson. It says, where on? The Lord says, uh, <clears throat> verse 8, Now therefore... So shall thou say unto my servant David, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be a ruler of my people Israel. See, that's what God chose. He didn't choose a, a great champion. He chose David from taking care of sheep. What did Moses do in the wilderness for 40 years? Anybody know? There's something about taking care of sheep. And Moses, during that period of time that he was taking care of sheep, God undid all that Egypt has plant, had planted in Moses' life. When he was finished after 40 years, he was not a son of Pharaoh. He was not a prince of Egypt no more. He was an ordinary shepherd man that when God says, go tell Pharaoh, he says, I can't speak. Well, you listen to sheep in the morning, sheep noon, midday, and sheep at night. And then next morning, same thing, sheep. They got a good vocabulary. After 40 years, you'll be like a sheep. But God leads sheep. He decides to call his people sheep. That is why David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's something about sheep and their submission and subjection that God decides that he'll call his flock sheep. And the Lord says, I brought thee from the sheep coat. And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of great men that are in the earth. 
Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in the place of their own, and no more. Neither shall the churn of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And the Lord said here in verse, uh, in verse um, 12, And when thy days shall be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up a seed after thee, and he shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, to a certain extent, this was Solomon, but to a greater extent, it was that prophecy that we were reading in Luke a few minutes ago, to his kingdom there shall be no end. And that is why Jesus was called the seed of David. He was child of God, son of the highest, but he shall build again the tabernacle and sit on the throne of his earthly father, David. David was a remarkable man. There is nothing you can do that would not, for God that would not develop your spirit. Don't give grudgingly. Don't give someone to see. Don't do things for eye service. Well, I want them to see what I'm doing. No. Even when you pray, enter into your closet. <clears throat> Close the door behind you and pray. And <clears throat> your father that sits in secret shall reward you openly. The Lord says, When thy day shall be fulfilled, I will set thy seed after thee, and he shall proceed out of thy bowels and establish his kingdom. And he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Solomon died. But this seed was a greater seed than Solomon. This prophecy had more than what Solomon could offer, because the kingdom is to be an everlasting kingdom. And when we learn to give to God, God will bless us. Now, I want to turn your attention. I know I have just about six minutes left. But I want to turn your attention to the last book of the Old Testament. And I'm going to tell you something here tonight. And leave it at that. Because uh, you, look at, you look at the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. The last prophet uh, that came... Uh, Malachi, and uh, he, uh, he was, um, uh, maybe, maybe it was almost 400 years or 500 years. Brother Terry, how many years from Malachi to Matthew? 400. About 400. About 400 years from Malachi to Matthew, there were no prophets sent. I can tell you why. Because God does not need your money. He does not need your dedication. He does not need your sacrifice. When you give, you help yourself. When you, whatever you put, you put $2, that's what you think God is. Of course, a widow's might could, should be, could be all that she has. It's not what you put. It's the proportion of your gift and the appreciation in your heart when you give it. Here in Malachi, the Lord is about to judge the Israel and stop sending prophets for 400 years. And that is why when God gives you a pastor or a minister, don't ignore him. Amen. Don't abandon him. Amen. Don't let him come here in a service and sit by himself with a few handful of people when you can make it. Because you're not doing it to the minister, you're doing it to God. Jesus said, he that receiveth you, receiveth me. Same principle. And he that re re rejected you, rejected me. And he that rejected me, rejected the Father that sent me. It goes the same principle. Do not ignore the ministry that God has raised up. And you might be full of a lot of religion. And you might ignore that John the Baptist because he does not dress like the rest of everybody. He does not conform to the principle of the traditions of our forefathers. But he was, there was a man sent from God. His name was John. God didn't say that about Caiaphas or Annas or even Gamaliel. But there was a man sent from God and his name was John. And here it says in Malachi, and I got four minutes left, but it says here, a son, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, a son honored his father, Father's Day cards, a servant his master, by present for his master's birthday, 
And God says, if I then be a father, where is mine honor? He says, and if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, starting from the priests that despise my name. And you said, we don't know how we, we have not despised you. You see, it's one thing when you're blind. It's another thing when you think you see and you're blind. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm very faithful. Well, your definition of faithful does not match with God's definition of faithful. We need to examine ourselves. Aren't you glad for tonight? And it says, the Lord says, <clears throat> he says, you offered polluted bread. You got some extra bread, Chan. It, it's not polluted. It's, it's running mildew. Take it to the pastor. I remember I came to Canada. Uh, first time I'm in Canada. And a brother came to me and he says, Brother Singh, I got something for you. I said, what? He says, I bought a new can opener, so here is my old one. I looked at our brother and I said to him, I said, take it to Salvation Army. I'm not Salvation Army. Amen. I'm called of God. I might walk out there, I might drive an old van or something like that, but don't take me for granted. If God has called me, your attitude to me is very important. If God has called your pastor, your attitude to him is important. Very important. And the Lord said, you offer polluted bread. Wherein have you polluted? They said, well, we don't know what we have polluted. The Lord says, the table of the Lord. They said, the table of the Lord is contemptible. I don't like church. He says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? Can you imagine? Instead of firstlings, they're bringing blind. A blind chicken. A blind goat. One eye not seeing. And the Lord says... If you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? He says, take it to your boss. We give our strength to the ungodly element of this world. The scripture says that the righteous bow to the ungodly. And that is exactly what is happening. May God help us. Because when you look through this, the Lord said, take it to your governor. He says in verse 14, uh, right down to the end. He says, but cursed be the deceiver which hath a, in his flock a male and vow it and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. The Lord said, and I want us everybody to read this as I close this lesson of tonight. He says, for I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. And that is why, children of God, when we come, we can't do voodoo dance to this great king. Amen. Are you all listening to me? Yes, we can't carry on like we have caravana and we have a great majesty. God is not some pagan king. He is a great king. He wants majesty. Amen. And the kind of songs we will introduce would be majestic songs. There's a reason why God has a mask on everyone's mouth today, except the preacher. We need to listen more, speak less, and do more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another night in your house. We thank you for this beautiful example, the examples of Scripture, of Abel and David, and so many more examples, Father, we give you thanks. And praise for these remarkable examples of sacrifice and men that honored you and placed you on the highest pedestals in their lives. Help us to learn to have reverence for your house. Lord, to be like David. Not to be comfortable in our comfortable environment. But to understand that your work is a representation of you. And we should honor you, Father, as a great king. Lord, we thank you for being such a great king. Help us, Father, to respect you as such. And may these words change our lives, we ask, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen and amen and amen. amen.